The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. You are listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and it's time for the Cambridge Film Show, your fortnightly foray into the latest releases to hit the big and small screens. Now, if you haven't been busy enough trying to catch up with the Stranger Things finale, which, let's face it, is the length of a film in itself, getting to grips with the glamorous goings-on on Love Island or even the political drama happening at number 10, you may be tempted by our six cinematic topics of conversation today. On the agenda, we have Marvel Space Magic in Thor Love and Thunder, animated horror Mad God, psychological drama Nitram, robot comedy Brian and Charles, rom-com Cha-Cha Real Smooth, not the Cha-Cha Slide, and to finish it all off, TikTok favourite Minions, The Rise of Gru. My name is Yossi Osman and joining me today we have the wonderful cast of Stuart Pask. Hello, good morning. Victoria Eyre. Hello. Simon West. Hello. And Henry Jordan. Hello. So, as you can imagine, variety is very much the spice of life on today's show and we've got a packed agenda. So let's get moving. First up, let's take a trip with the God of Thunder. Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. When he got in shape, he went from dead bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Taika Waititi returns to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and more specifically the world of Thor in Thor Love and Thunder. Our fourth, I think Stuart might correct me, outing with Chris Hemsworth as the titular character. In this edition, Thor is on a journey for inner peace, but it is rudely interrupted by galactic killer Gore the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale, who is on a mission to kill all gods ever. To put a stop to all this, Thor must team up with King Valkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson, and a surprising turn from ex-girlfriend Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman. Now, as is the custom, I have to come to our Marvel superfan, Stuart Pask, on this one. Um, Thor Ragnarok was really popular, I think it was back in 2017, with the Cambridge Film Show team and our reviewers. In fact, I remember some of us, including myself, putting it in our top 10 films of the year. Um, Taika Waititi, he was commended for his refreshing, creative take on the superhero genre. Does he repeat the success here? I mean, I think it's fair to say, and there have been some criticism online to say that they are repeating the formula uh, of, of, of Thor Ragnarok, um, perhaps not to the same success. But I read a lot of things online and around to this film, including some random um, commentary that this, this film was likened to Joel Schumacher's Batman films, which I thought was a bit harsh, having not even seen it yet. But actually, I was uh, really enjoyed this. I really really surprised by this. Um, I wouldn't say it was as good as Thor Ragnarok, but I think it's a really good fun addition to the marvel cinematic universe and it's got a few surprises in there which you know if you're if you're a bit of a if you've been following all the trailers and you're a big fan of, of the comics you might have seen some of those things sort of coming a mile off but regardless i found them really sort of uh, humorous and enjoyable additions and as well as that a fantastic soundtrack to boot super um, Simon, I cannot remember what you thought of Thor Ragnarok, but I do know you have quite a different take on, on this film. Tell us what you thought. 
Well, one of the big things about the Marvel films is that you often have a universe-threatening ending bad guy. And the big universe that is in trouble in this film is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because Taika Waititi is trying to do everything he can to undermine and ruin it for the fans. I was not a fan of Ragnarok. I thought Ragnarok was the start of the poor film, which is Guardians of Galaxy 2, and I think Star Wars oh, even wow. came into it, where films started going into self-parodying. These are fantasy films, the superhero films, are supposed to be fun. With any good sci-fi film or fantasy film, you normally have a, you know, suspension of disbelief. You get one or two things that go off and then you set the world. But the world then has to be consistent within itself. In this film, it isn't. He brings in Looney Tunes-style uh, gags and jokes. He makes fun of the films. He's not interested. He doesn't care about them. I mean, Stuart mentions the Schumacher films. I was saying, in places, there are scenes in this that are as bad as Batman and Robin. And it's almost as bad as the Batman wow. and Robin. Now, that is some um, criticism right there. <laughs> I mean, it's a shame, because Christian Bale is fantastic as Gore in the three scenes that he has. And apart from that, you... I mean, going into, like, the god omnipotent uh, palace and things like that, it makes no sense even within the superheroes. Superhero movies had a bad reputation in the 80s and 90s, and it took them a long time to get out of it and actually make serious films out of it. This is going back to those films. OK. Um, Vicky, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you, and I, we'll come back to the villain, because I, I do have a question on that. Um, but it's interesting, you were talking now a little bit about self parodying and although I generally quite liked the film there were moments when I was watching this that I honestly thought it could be a spoof film yeah. and and that that really struck me this time it didn't strike me so much with Ragnarok um Vicky do you think that there's perhaps too much here in terms of forced comedy the one-liners that are actually taking away from what this could be as a Marvel superhero film yeah I think well I'm not completely anti-Thor um, since Ragnarok. I really enjoyed Ragnarok. I feel like it got the 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 kind of balance right between what is comedy and what is taking the mick, and but it still had a good storyline. And I feel like with this, it like you said, it brought up the one-liners, brought up the comedy. It could be a spoof film, and it forgot about the plot. It forgot about the dynamic characters that they do have. It forgot to pay attention to all the characters that are there. And there were so many characters. Um, I honestly feel like the only true redeeming factor... I mean, Christian Bale had some scary moments and, like, hands off because I didn't really think he was going to do that good a job. But he, like they said, like Simon said, he didn't have a lot of screen time. Mm. Um, it was kind of like the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. I actually forgot who the bad guy is <laughs> in a lot of those films. And I kind of feel like I will forget about Christian Bale's character. Um, the only person that really like kept me grounded throughout the film was probably Tessa Thompson. Um, she was the one that had the like most dynamic kind of chemistry and like with any character on screen because there was a lot of forced chemistry in this film. Yeah. yeah. If we're going to be honest about it. Um, but yeah, Tessa Thompson kept me grounded. The storyline was a bit meh, but at the same time, I've had a kind of on and off relationship with Marvel since the end of Avengers. I feel like I haven't really, since they really ended on Infinity War, I haven't been there for them. And maybe this is just my sign to say, stop doing the homework. <laughs> okay. So. There's a there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm thank you for the for the uh, glowing praise of Tessa Thompson. I'm a huge fan, and I do think she was brilliant in it. Mm. Um, bringing back 
the character of Jane Foster, Natalie Portman, because if I'm right, she wasn't in, she was written out of the last film. She's now back. Did that storyline really add anything to this film, Henry? Um, I I feel like no. It kind of felt like they, you know, everyone in the kind of big Marvel offices said, we need another Thor movie. And they were looking at kind of what they could pull from. And I'm not a particularly big comic reader, but there's a very famous um, Thor storyline recently where Jane Foster becomes the mighty Thor and she does so while kind of um, battling with some own personal issues that kind of come up in the story. And so it's quite an obvious pull to go, hey, this is this story that everyone loved that made like, you know, big headline news when Thor became a, a woman. So let's do this in the film. It doesn't feel like they went, you know what's going to really push like Chris Hemsworth's character of Thor like forward and is kind of unlike a character arc. It felt like they were just going through the motions. And I think that's a shame because actually I feel like I kind of do agree with Simon, although not quite as, as strongly. <laughs> that I think the film needed to kind of come down on one, on one side or the other. It needed to either, you know, be very serious in the kind of uh, Marvel universe and say like, yep, we're kind of sticking to this, we're building to this, we want to kind of get from here to here by doing these things. Or it needed to completely disregard everything and go really silly and just really enjoy itself. And I think it tried to have one foot in each half and kind of never really was able to fully commit to either side. I mean, this is part of the problem with it. I mean, you've got the main story where Jane Foster's actually suffering from cancer, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite a serious topic. And, you know, it, it's quite upsetting, but it did almost seem like almost putting you into the girlfriend in peril role rather than actually dealing it as a proper sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I did And when you that, have yeah. that conflicting mm. with the style of humour that Taika Waititi likes... I mean, I like Taika Waititi. What you do in the shadows is great, mm-hmm. but I'm saying his style does not fit these films. And I think when you have that self-undercutting, parodying comedy, mm-hmm. you lose the emotion, you can't have the investment, you don't get the emotional touch... Those beats miss, and that's why I don't think any of these films have been as big as Endgame because Endgame was so emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what you're missing here. Yeah, I did. There's a lot of um, obviously everyone knows that. What is the village called? Where's he from? The new Asgard. Asgard. So obviously we know there's a new Asgard. There's a lot of upsetting topics about the destruction of Asgard, but there was never a tear shed on my half. And I'm an easy crier. Mm. Um, Mm. But talking about Natalie Portman's role in this, I mean, she looks incredible. And the chemistry between her and Tessa Thompson was probably like one of the most laugh out loud scenes, apart from, you know, Thor's unveiled tattoo. I did get a good laugh out of that one in this. But apart from that, I just... Yeah, um, Simon is absolutely correct in saying that they could not get the balance right. And Taika Waititi films have done it, even with Hunt for the Wilder People. There's such heartfelt, important topics told in that storyline while being an off-cut comedy. And I feel like maybe because it is Marvel, maybe because it is a mainstream film, the balance just can't be seen there. And maybe he was trying to bring it back, but there wasn't enough emotional depth for me. I have a general question. I'm going to come to Stuart on this because... This is we've now had a few films in the phase four, phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Vicky Simon have both, both just talked about the punch, the emotional punch that we got towards Endgame. And I'm thinking with the films that we've had so far, there's nothing really linking them, but they all seem to follow a similar pattern, particularly with their villain, who is sort of driven by loss. That is the that pushes their behaviour. It's all settled by the end. And there's a general sense when I watch these films now of 
where is this all going? As a as a you know, as the person who loves, lives and breathes Marvel in the room probably more than any of us, what's your take on that? And and do you agree with perhaps with some of the points that Vicky and Simon are making? Well, I'll answer the second question first, and I've had a, I, I, I can, I, they're welcome to their thoughts and to their criticism. Of it. I personally didn't see a lot of them. I, I didn't have any issues with the balance or anything. To be honest, I just can't have a day of work, and I just wanted to have some fun. And I went along to, to, to that to that film, and I and I had fun. Um, and I just thought it was a badass film, as, as shallow as that may sound. But I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the soundtrack. I I enjoyed just how well it just sort of all the colors and all the action and, and, and that was great with regards to where the universe is going um it's an interesting one because we've had a lot of teasers as to who's supposed to be the big bad in phase four of the universe and it's very little has sort of come to touch on to him like we, we haven't had the teasers at the end of phase four that we've had at the at the original sort of phase one phase two that thanos is always on the edge of everyone's sort of conscious and everything we haven't seen anything at all of the big bad we've seen other cosmic and deity elements of the marvel cinematic universe but we've had no indication that this new big bad is coming yet mm-hmm. allegedly that's going to come along with the new um ant-man and uh, quantumania film which is a, a year or so out yet but does it really is it too late by I, that point? i feel that they're not actually sure yet and they're just throwing so much at the screen um, and seeing what fans like. I mean, Eternals really did not do well, and that could have been it. a really big thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the films have been fun. You know, they're going along. They seem to be treading water at the moment. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it took a long time before The Big Bad came out in the last, uh, you know, Phase 1 or Phase 2. So you've got a long time. And I think Endgame is so tough to follow up. They're going to have to really work hard at it. Um, and talking about Marvel thing, can I just want to say one extra thing? Sure. Ms. Marvel on Disney Plus is probably one of the best Marvel things that's been done Agreed. in years. It's brilliant. People yes. aren't watching it. It's funny. It's touching. It's emotional. It's comic. You know, these are all the things that it should be. But it's fantastic. So if you do like Marvel, but you've been burnt out between all the other ones lately, see Ms. Marvel because that one is good. Yeah. I didn't even realise it was out, so thank you. <laughs> but I, I would totally agree with Miss Marvel. I think it's extremely creative. I think it's got a real relevance and poignancy to it. And the last episode in particular really, really hit me. So that was that's, yeah. it's great. But, uh, but quickly, because we've spent quite a lot of time, um, overall opinions on the thought. I think we have been quite negative here. Can we still say that this is something enjoyable enough to go and see at the cinema? I yeah. definitely, I definitely think so. I know that I haven't given it the best review, but at the same time, like Stu said, if you have a day off and you want something fun, absolutely. It's still, it's still Thor. It's still like, you know, he still has, you know, comedic value and a great soundtrack and Russell Crowe has some very funny lines and this is Zeus. So even if it is off balance, it is still a good time. Brilliant way to end. Thank you very much, Vicky. Okay, so Thor Love and Thunder is playing in all three Cambridge cinemas. It is a certificate 12A. Right, on to something altogether different now that you may not have heard about as it is currently showing on streaming service Shudder, your go-to for all things horror or thriller. The film up for discussion is called Mad God. It is Phil Tippett's stop-motion experimental animated horror.
was the trailer for Mad God. In this film, a figure known as the Assassin descends from the heavens into a nightmarish pit of monsters, titans and cruelty. And if that doesn't sell it to you, maybe a couple of our team will. Um, Simon, I'm going to come to you on this one first. This film is really a labour of love for Phil Tippett. It's 30 years in the making. Does this come through on screen? Um, the love of the of the work and definitely comes across. I mean, people who don't know, Phil Tippett is famous for being most the dinosaur supervisor of Jurassic Park. He's been doing special effects in Star Wars, um, won about four or five Oscars. He did Ed 209 in the Robocop films. He's really started up stop motion. But he, And then in the 90s, he started making Mad God, um, his animated film. Um... But when he started doing Jurassic Park, he's thinking CG was going to take over and there's no room for stop motion anymore. So he shelves the project for about 15, 20 years. And then he started again 10 years later on Kickstarter and getting funded and making it. Um, this film is a vision. It is, it is dark. It is quite unrelenting at times um the film about an assassin from god coming down to a landscape of weird nightmarish creatures to go through you're not quite sure what it is there's no dialogue in this film that's why mm -hmm. i didn't hear any of trailer um however it's i kept going through my mind while watching it thing so this is something i've never seen before while constantly comparing it in my mind to like the works of Dave McKean mm -hmm. or Tool videos or this very much reminiscent of the time in the 90s when Channel 4 used to show really experimental off-shot films and manga and anime was coming over from Japan and you can tell it's definitely influenced and came up from the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite a universal story. Um, it is, you know, about the about power and man, you know, as they call mad gods and, you know, coming down to trying to destroy everything. Um, it's hard to recommend if you're not into things like that. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, quite gory, quite disgusting and, and everything in places. However, the, the animation is fantastic. The stop motion is wonderful. The artwork um, in, it is all there. It's exactly what you want to get from one of the best people in stop motion. There has been a lot of talk about the visuals, but as, as someone who doesn't really like horror films, mm. um, I'm going to ask Vicky, who I know loves horror films, yeah. <laughs> um, to just tell us a little bit more about maybe some of the more disturbing elements, how they add to the film, but also, is this something that you would recommend for someone like me that doesn't okay. normally enjoy this kind of genre? Right, um, no. <laughs> so I already have a Shudder subscriptions. I was, I've been anticipating this film for quite a while, I would say. Um, so he, Phil Tippett has definitely, yeah, he is someone I didn't know too much of the backstory of, but in simple terms, he like designed Jabba the Hutt and he did the infamous CGI Twilight Breaking Dawn part one birth scene, which is a very important cinematic <laughs> moment in my life. Um, so he is, you know, he's been in the industry for so long and this is his magnum opus and it is hard to recommend a non-dialogue visual film like this if you don't like horror because it's just something that within the first 10 seconds that if you're not interested in this topic you won't stay with it I won't say but as someone that does love horror um, within the first 10 seconds I was visually just 
and Maud. Like, I was just so encapsulated in this film. And, uh, yeah, it is... Uh, the exact descriptions that Simon gave are very creepy because I have the same things written down. Um, I have stuck in a strange, like Pink Floyd tool music video. Um, definitely visually gorgeous, but then equally disgusting. So much so that I had to take like a tea break because it was just it got it got to the point where it was so hardcore. Um, that I was just like, okay, I've had maybe one or two drinks. I need to sober up to enjoy this because it got quite on the disgusting end. Uh, but then it does, you know, it brings it back throughout the storyline. It um, it takes you to like the ab- like the absolute depths of hell, and then it brings you to like a storyline B, which is like the labyrinth, which is lovely. And it's like, oh, all these like cute creatures are about, but it's always like a dark ending. It's a bit like, um. Oh my goodness! I've forgotten the puppets. Uh, Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal. Crystal. It's it's always like a bit of gruesomeness and disgusting characters are on the sidelines when you get a moment of relief. And um, I feel like that was great. I really I did enjoy um, the balance of that. But in the end, it is a horrifying masterpiece in simple terms. Yeah, it's great to see Alex Cox pop up as well in a view of the human CG part. The old director. Yeah, I was going to say this. I feel like the one thing I tried to compare it to in my head was the the kind of offbeat animation of Nine by Sean uh, Shane Acker. Mm-hmm. That was a few years ago, and I feel like that's that, that's another one that came yeah, up in my mind. Yeah, comparison. literally, <laughs> that's probably the only. It's because the delicateness of this like creepy creature going around this world, and it's just completely yeah. <laughs> So I'd like to chip in. I've not actually seen this one, but it does look really intriguing to me. And, and you're talking about the style of the, mm. of the stop motion. The closest thing I can think of from having seen anything like this is, um, is it Jan Svankmeyer. He does a version of Alice. Mm. Are there comparisons there? Do you think it's similar? If you're sort of interested in that sort of mechanics of stop motion? It's, it's, not, it's not the same, I wouldn't say. I've seen comparisons to the film before, especially in the bleakness of it. But to be honest, I've not seen Alice, so I can't compare it. Um, but it's definitely one where if you if you love the artwork and you love mm. the art form, then this is one that you need to see. Yeah, it's like a mix of like nineties puppeteering, uh, dark crystal labyrinth, but it's done in like a horrifying way. And um, yeah, I think that's really all you can truly say. It isn't that long. It's an hour and twenty eight minutes, yeah. and it went by very fast. And definitely without the tea break, I was I, I happily <laughs> watched it in one go. And you know, I feel like. Um, the world building itself is just an absolute merit and the painstakingly like animation that is done real by real is you can see like the dedication this team has so yeah i feel like mad god is something of uh, a great thing to come out this year because it just mixed up my week a little bit i was just <laughs> absolutely pleasant and it's definitely going to be in like you know the top 20 probably of this year wow so that that's some really high praise you've even intrigued me um and i wasn't sure i wanted to watch this i probably still won't watch it just from <laughs> how, some of what you've said but it sounds like there's some glowing praise here so mad god is on the streaming service shudder if you like me are are intrigued and want to give it a go and you have Amazon Prime I think there is a, a free trial on the Shutter streaming service um, and it is a certificate uh, 15 okay we are racing through these it's now time to turn our attention to Nitram Justin Kurzel's psychological drama when he was a little boy we used to play a game at the fabric shop in town he'd go off and hide in all the big tall rolls of fabric and then I'd try and find it. 
Australian film director Justin Kurzel is known for his bold career path with films such as Snowtown, about the Snowtown murders, and the true history of the Kelly gang. With his latest, he does not shy away from challenging subject matter with Nitram, a film that revolves around the life and behaviours of Martin Bryant, who is the titular Nitram, who after a tragic ending to an unexpected friendship commits one of the most atrocious crimes in Australian history. Um, Henry, I'll, I'll come to you on this one first. And this is quite a difficult one for me to talk about. It's a really harrowing portrait of a mass murderer who committed a really heinous act in Port Arthur in the 1990s. And quite frankly, though I appreciate the film and I personally think it's a good film, it's one I would happily never see again. Um, what would you say to our listeners to persuade them to see this film? What does it have going for it? Well... I kind of personally wrestle with this a lot, the the idea of, of making a film about this, about a tragedy that is still so recent and so painful. But I think if you are going to make that kind of film, you want to make it the way that Nitram is made. It is this very sad film about a kind of just a continual sad descent. It never, you know, despite the sadness, it never takes time to... Uh, sympathise with the main character it always is just it's never saying oh well he did this and that's you know that's why he did that and we all understand it's always keeping enough distance I think it's a because that was a very smart filmmaker in that he has absent a lot of the style he had in some of his other films so even though in some ways it's actually a similar character to some of his other films the like epic kind of tragedy of Macbeth is gone the like punk rock swagger that Ned Kelly had that's all gone. It's just about... which about the four main characters, really, all being very sad people who, throughout the runtime, fail to get what they want. It is... Like you said, Yoz, it's not an easy watch at all. I came out and it had... You know, I had about an hour before I started work and I needed that time to kind of refuel again. But it's a really interesting way to examine, you know, an issue that, especially in other parts of the world, is still... A real continuing problem. Yeah, and no, I was just going to say because while watching this, I, I just kept thinking not just of, of the atrocities in the film, but recent events and how this might impact an audience. And as you say, you have to be very careful with how you tackle uh, uh, this sort of subject matter, Simon. I know you watched it very, very, very recently, yeah. so you you've got that fresh. Um, perspective how did you find this film um there's definitely a sense of uneasiness there and it wasn't so much the way the film made me sense it it was more the uneasiness of should they made this film and it wasn't made in the right way and what is the message it's trying to get across here um i'm not sure it was relevant um i'm not sure that you know, they tackled it in the best way, um, or it needed to be told, um, at least in this matter, manner. Um, if you take that away, the performances are fantastic, um, especially Essie Davis, um, who, who plays a older, mo motherly figure, 
uh, to Nitram and Caleb Landry Jones is again absolutely fantastic. He won the Can Award for it, um, but it is almost two hours of you know grim slice of life. Australia's not all happy and sunshine. Um, doesn't really get in you know the depth I thought of his personality or the reasons why I don't know whether how far they can go in it seemed to be making excuses for his behavior which rather than understanding it seemed to be more excuses um which made like I said very uneasy there's a very fine line when you portray such a an awful character as this in explaining why they did what they did and asking us to sympathize with that person it, getting that balance is really difficult and i was wrestling throughout this film mm. with that like what is this film trying to do um do is this film respectful enough to people that have been impacted by such atrocities henry i i definitely think it is it, when it actually was first announced in australia there was a lot of controversy about this because you know as far as australian history goes this is you know still the kind of most recent event of this kind for them um but when it came out it was greeted with critical acclaim at the australian equivalent of their academy awards it you know it swept it did incredibly well um and so i think that's a sign that you know back where kind of it would be the most sensitive topic it's been well done i think also that the the shooting itself is never is is not is not uh, dramatized in the no. film we lead up to there and you I, I was sitting there feeling queasy, thinking, when are we yeah. cutting away? When are we cutting away? And it does, just in time. It doesn't try and sensationalise it. It doesn't play it up. You have, there's a film a few years ago called The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which, you know, really kind of, like, w was very skeezy about those murders. And I think there is a way you can do this. It's, like, B-movie gross, and that is not what Justin Cazell is doing. He's doing it in, in for want of a better word, a very classy way he's treating the story with the respect and the distance that it needs great thank you very much uh, simon and henry and uh, nitram is currently showing at the art picture house it is a certificate 15 cambridge 105 radio We've got crime and fantasy in this week's bookmark. Our featured guest is Mena Van Praag, talking about her latest novel, Night of Demons and Saints. Crime fiction aficionados Kate Rhodes and Barry Forshaw chat about what makes a good mystery. And Graham Bartlett discusses his debut crime novel, Bad for Good. So join me, Lee Chambers, on Bookmark this Sunday morning at 11 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Our suffering from buffering find yourself screaming not streaming or do you just lag behind then it's time to demand better broadband city fiber is building a brand new full fiber network across the uk giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average so you can stream game and video call without interruption get connected to full fiber today choose your provider at citifiber.com slash cambridge 105 
CKLG accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. You are listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and this is the Cambridge Film Show. Still to come, we are bracing ourselves to talk all things Minions, but next up we look at robot comedy Brian and Charles. My name's Brian. This is my infamous inventions pantry. It's actually a cow shed. Things went a bit topsy-turvy in my life and I was very alone. Fiddlesticks. That's when I just started making stuff. Any little idea I had, I just made. It's an egg belt, pine cone bag, flying cuckoo cock. So whenever anyone in the village wants to know the time, they can look up in the air and I'll be there. They don't always work. And the stuff I build isn't for everyone. I'm impressed. Thanks. My new project, I'm building a robot. Didn't look too bad, does he? I wonder what he'll do when I turn him on. Jim Archer's British comedy, Brian and Charles, is about Brian, a lonely inventor in Wales who spends his days building unconventional contraptions that seldom work. Until he invents Charles, an artificially intelligent robot who learns English from a dictionary and has an obsession with cabbages. Henry, just you on this one. This is, uh, I believe, Jim Archer's directorial debut. The overall vibe I'm getting here is... Cute quirky um does it rely a little too much on this eccentricity um i yeah i think the eccentricity is is very much it's it's selling point it is a very specific kind of film it's not a surprise that this was you know a sundance comedy um and before i kind of get into my thing it is worth pointing out as well that it won the audience award at sundance london so it's already been going down well with a lot of people it was not for me, I have to say. I just couldn't quite get on board with the sense of humour. It is just quirky British comedy. Quirkier than most in that one of its main characters is a robot, but still kind of hitting those very similar beats. I think the really the main thing it has going for it is just this... It has a very charming sincerity in that both of its lead characters are never called into question. It's never, oh, why did this robot gain sentience? Or why is this guy doing this? What, does he have some kind of past? Never that. It's always just two buddies hanging out for 90 minutes. So I've seen some really positive reviews about this film and how it explores themes such as family, friendship, loneliness. Um, but it, it, it sounds like coming from your perspective that perhaps it just didn't really do that enough no not really for me i as soon as it started i was sitting there and in my head i had all the the emotional and narrative beats of the film mapped out i went yep so this is going to happen about 20 minutes in this will happen it's going to be this montage about 40 minutes in you know somewhere around the 70 minute mark that's going to happen it's going to be a bit rough and then uh you know by the end we're going to have the happy reunion and i was on the money every single time <laughs> predictability isn't necessarily a bad thing but in a film like this, 
I felt like I wanted to be surprised. And I think the reason it's doing so well with so many people is that they aren't watching this to be surprised. They're watching this to be charmed and to just go along and have a really lovely time. But I, like I say, I just couldn't quite get on that wavelength. I don't think it's a, a problem with the film per se. I think it's just that I was not here for it in its right moment. I mean, it sounds like this is something that could maybe have been a short film rather than... Well, actually, it was a short film oh, before. Okay. And it was expanded in, which is why this is Jim Archer's uh, debut, because it was originally a short film. But I, yeah, I'm left a little wonder. I haven't seen the short film, but I am left wondering if perhaps that is going to feel like there's more meat on the bone there that's just been stretched across a larger running time here. There's something about... Because a lot of the kind of reviews I've seen um, and and the people that are really enjoying it, they're talking about how this is... It's a very British film. Um, Is the film... Is that what it's sort of relying on here? Would this work for perhaps an international audience? Or is, is it, you know this is a British comedy and, and the humour is very British. Weirdly, I feel like that's going to serve it really well in America where it has this kind of... In America, you have um, this faction of people who really gravitate towards this British comedy because it feels so different from their sense of comedy. And you're right, it is very British. Like, the film is very explicitly set in Wales. Everyone has comedy Welsh accents and there is Welsh language stuff just hanging around the place. It feels... It has a very strong sense of place but that was you know for me as someone who kind of lives in Britain that was never enough it's like oh it's picturesque British countryside I, I know what that looks like I see it fairly often <laughs> it was yeah I, I think other people are going to get a lot out of this I just I, I wish I could have gotten that is there anything just to close us off that you said other people might get a lot out of this. What what the positives really are in this film? I do think those two lead performances are what hold it together. You know, it is them just on on screen alone for most of the film. And I, this is going to sound almost patronising, but they do... They Both of the leads have very funny voices for their characters. And if you can just get into that, that's going to carry you a lot of the way. The way that Charles the Robot speaks was never making me laugh out loud, but it was making me kind of grin and exhale out of my nose a little bit from <laughs> from the way that he kind of, you know, would say cabbage or just, you know, panic at the birds. There is a charm to to the way that they bounce off each other. And like I say, I think if you're if you're locked into that, the film is going to carry you along for a, a very breezy ninety minutes. Okay, so if you want to exhale out of your nose slightly or perhaps more, um, you can see Brian and Charles, which is currently showing at the Arts Picture House. It is a certificate PG. Okay, now on to a visit to Apple TV, which is gradually appearing more and more on our show. Um, The streaming service currently has comedy drama, cha-cha, real smooth for your viewing pleasure. If anybody knows how to start a party, it's my brother, Andrew. Or should I say, the Jeep conductor. It's fine, it's so cute, it's so good. No, mom, if anybody sees that, I'm gonna get put on a watch list. I can't believe college is over. You have a job now? Or? We're not allowed to talk about jobs at the Bob Mitzvah party. So you either don't have a job or you have a bad job. How much does a party starter get paid, I wonder? I have a bad job, yeah. Honey, I'm not just saying this because I'm your mother, but I feel like you're way ahead of the game. Who's that? That's a mom and her kid. 
Do you two dance? We're not feeling it right now. How about I bet you $300 I can get her on the dance floor? I will give you $1,000. Director Cooper Rafe's film Cha Cha Real Smooth is about 22-year-old Andrew, who is played by Rafe himself, who is fresh out of university and not sure where to head next. Back with his family based in New Jersey, he finds himself in the role of motivational dancer, hype man, if you will, at local bar and bat mitzvahs in the area. When Andrew befriends a local mum, Domino, who's played by Dakota Johnson, and her daughter, Lola, who's played by Vanessa Burkhart, he finally discovers a future that he wants, even if it might not be his own. Vicky, uh, I think it's just you on this one. Um, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think so. Um, so the idea of this character who's kind of come out of university, not sure what to do next, is trying to find their way in life. Mm. It is something that we've, we have seen before. Yeah. What does Cha Cha Real Smooth add to this? Um, so I feel like the massive takeaway from this is that Cooper Rafe, who plays the main character, and I feel like this is his directorial debut as well, unless... Um, uh, I definitely, or oh, it might be a second. Have you tried? Yeah, it's a second one. He is a gem. He is so charismatic. I just want to see so much of him on screen. I got like for the people out there, he's very a down to earth Nick Miller vibes from New Girl. <laughs> I like everything he said. I was just so into his like motions and his actions and I honestly feel like his connection with Dakota Johnson in this film I have down buzzwords like electric and palpable <laughs> so oh, wow. I honestly thought they work so well on screen together and I know we've seen this kind of I don't know what to do uh, kind of feeling when people come out of university like you said in films quite a lot but I didn't at any point you know it's not that I never felt overwhelmed to my own strife about that it was more like this is how you get out of that. This is how you do things and it's okay if things don't go to plan. It's really just um, a good... It, it, I would say light-hearted. It is light-hearted. There is some, you know, darker moments in the film, but it is just an enjoyable, romantic life comedy, which I enjoyed thoroughly. <laughs> okay, you, you might hate me here, although yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't... It's not that I strongly disliked it, Um Talking about Cooper Rafe, director and the the lead in this, I just got a little sense of, I don't know, smugness mm. that for me took away from perhaps some of the authenticity of the film. Am I being baseless here in my no, opinion? No, no, I definitely feel like the smugness comes through and I feel like that's maybe from personal experiences that I've probably had with lads of this genre. <laughs> um, but I do get the smugness. I, it was just hard to hate him. And I feel like it was hard to hate him because he had such... He had Dakota Johnson and she plays the mother of Lola... And obviously at his bar mitzvahs, he gets introduced and they develop like a relationship, but she's already engaged. And there's a lot of like, uh, underlying feelings throughout this whole thing. And I just wanted to see how it carried on. But um, I do understand the smugness of him. But Dakota Johnson, I feel like grounded him where he needed to be grounded. So he didn't became, become too over, just a bit much. Um, also, she was excellently styled in this. And I... I, I do agree with that. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. she was... Like, whoever made this... Obviously, Cooper made this film. And I feel like he picked her and maybe she chose her own wardrobe because I was just in love with every movement that she made. There's a lot of love for this film that I'm currently <laughs> saying I, right I now. I can feel it. It's yeah. radiating. Um, I, I guess for me, it, it was just... that There was that smugness. There was also this kind of theme that I was picking up on where... 
he was kind of male saviour. I felt like all the the female characters in this film were pretty dependent mm. on the men. Mm. And again, maybe I'm just really picking here, but it just it just took me away from 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 enjoying it, perhaps. I just, uh, I feel like a lot, well, for one, Leslie Mann plays uh, Andrew's mum. So she plays the main character's mother and she doesn't even actually have a name. I'm looking at IMDb and she's called Andrew's mum. I know she plays a great mother role, but I feel like maybe that is where even the line is drawn, like to the point that you're making. I do understand. But I also feel like Lola, so Vanessa Burkhardt, she plays the young autistic daughter in this film. But I thought she was very uh, well done. She, I don't feel like she needed a male dependent. I feel like that relationship done between her and her sitter, who's Andrew, was developed very well in like a friendship kind of way. And I, I do... I feel like she was probably the one character where she didn't need a male dependent and she was the right character to choose for that. Okay. Well, apologies. I was pretty much playing devil's advocate there. There is, there is, there is some a lot of charm um, in this film. And if you would like to see it, uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth is currently on Apple TV, and it is a certificate fifteen. Okay, we are we are nearly up for today. But to finish us off, I'm sure it is the one you have all been waiting for. This is Minions: The Rise of Gru. Good night. Good night. Yes, yes, yes. Good night. Minions! There are a lot of other villains in the world, but I am going to be a super villain. This world is mine for the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. This puny little child thinks he can be a villain. I am pretty despicable. You won't have heard this, but there are a lot of small chuckles around the studio as that trailer was playing. Following on from the success of the first Minions film in 2015, Minions The Rise of Gru sees us back with our yellow friends as they loyally follow Gru, voiced by Steve Carell, who is trying to join the Vicious Six, a supervillain supergroup. Now, a lot of the talk regarding this film is around a certain TikTok trend. We're going to try and steer away from that if possible, um, at least for now. But I'll come to Simon first with a general question. Um, The Despicable Me Minions franchise has been going on for some time now and it is still really, really popular. Um, At this stage, I don't know how many of the films you might have seen, but with all the films that we've had, is it still really fun and appealing or is it starting to get a little bit grating? Um, I've actually seen all five of the films um, in the cinema and the last one I think I even fell asleep through about half of it so going to see another one wasn't on the uh, top of my list of things to do however they've definitely realised that the best thing about these Minion films are the Minions and not Gru Mm -hmm. Uh, Mini Boss is much better than Older Boss Um, from the beginning of this film and the introducing the was it Sinister Six or whatever they call them in this one um, I was giggling at every time they introduced a new character as a name and Taraji B. Henson as Bell Bottom was fantastic got Wild Knuckles Alan Arkin um, all of them Jean-Claude Van Damme as Jean-Claude who plays a Frenchman with a big claw it's it's just simple it's basic it's funny um 
I really enjoyed this, you know. I think I needed cheering up after watching Thor beforehand, and <laughs> this is the thing that really did cheer me up. It was, uh, you know, it was silly, it was funny, it was slapstick, it, the plot wasn't important, you didn't need to think about it. You just went in, enjoyed it, and when the minions are on screen, they're just funny, they just make you giggle, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, Stuart, I'll come to you next. I mean... It is a kind of sense, as I've said, there there have been several films with the minions and there are things that we come to expect. Um, and those things that some people might see grating are things that other people really, really love. And so this film perhaps having what you expect is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think so at all. I think, I think um, you know, when Illumination Studios, whoever it was who invented the Minion in the first place, they just made um, an excuse to print money, I think. Um, and they are, they do what they see on the tin. They, they, they are just funny little slapstick psychics to uh, who was once the main character grew. Um, and as Simon says, he's been sidetracked because they don't really need him anymore. He's 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 now the secondary character when he was intended to be the I guess the initial character, uh, the main character. But um, yeah, it's it, it's it's not something I had envisioned myself going to see in the cinema. I don't think I've seen any of them in the cinema today. I've seen them all on like TV and streams and whatnot. Um, but you know, I did my homework for the show uh, as a as a good reviewer. Um, and I and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought I'd, I wouldn't have normally picked to go and see this in the cinema, but um, it was it was very very amusing, and I think I got more out of it than I thought I would. Oh, brilliant! Um, I'm, I think this is a very easy question to answer, Henry. But let's not forget this is a family film, and it is targeted at kids. Is there plenty for them to enjoy here? Oh yeah, I mean, this is this is made for kids, really. Like I. It's odd because when the first... This is going to be one of those things that makes everyone feel old, so I apologise straight away. When the first Despicable Me came out, I was in the target demographic for it. I was 10. and Get out. And, <laughs> and, you know, I am now no longer in the target demographic for these films. And, you know, that's OK. They're not, they're not made for me. However, there are some touches that I think actually are going to appeal to people who aren't just 10-year-olds. The 70s setting is actually really really charismatic and gives the film like some personality that the first Minions film did not have. You kind of get it through the visuals and you get it through this bizarre soundtrack which features, you know, kind of some of the great indie singers at the moment with like St. Vincent, Wise Blood, Phoebe Bridges are just here doing songs for some reason. But it it works and it's it's kept the film in my mind. There's also this really great like bit with a death trap where uh, someone's on a, a giant record player that has a saw blade that's slowly coming towards them, and it's going to take two days during which they have to listen to disco music non-stop. I was watching this and I thought, you know what, if this was in a Saw movie, I'd be thinking this is a, a really great trap. <laughs> so actually, I think if you are going to see this as an adult, you know, you're not going to be walking out and going, this is the best film I've ever seen. Oh. But, you know, you're going to be surprised. I mean, following on from that, from saying Saw, can I just say, you know, when you've got references from Midnight Cowboy, Kill Bill, you've got a fantastic opening sequence, the blot with a Bond-style song from Kill Bill, I believe, um, with the minions doing all the dancing and things like that. There's plenty of here of the adults and the film fans, although that's not the funniest bits. It's not just film references, but if you do like that, there's just so much for the adults to be uh, kept, you know. 
Yeah, I, I started talking about references to other films. I don't think it was a direct reference, but it did make me think of uh, uh, the, Mar- the film The Martian, where um, they're, they're sort of tortured by disco on his little trek across the Martian landscape. That just popped into my mind when I was watching it. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> I mean, it's clear. Um, Simon, you've already touched on this, but just looking down the cast list, obviously you've got Steve Carell, but you've got Alan Arkin, Taraji P. Henson, Michelle Yeoh, Julia Andrews, Russell Brand, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, this is still something that clearly a lot of big names still want to be a part of, and they are doing pretty amazing voice work in I this mean, as well. I mean, most of those you read out do have one line or two. I mean, oh, you don't enough. need Jean-Claude Van Damme, but the fact it is Jean-Claude Van Damme doing Jean-Claude and the one I can't see on my screen at the moment, the best one, of course, uh, I've got a shout out to Lucy, Lou, um, Lucy Lawler sorry, as Nunchuck, who's a nun who uses nunchucks is one of the best things I've seen in a while. Okay, so with all that in mind... Um, it's clear that this is still very much a bankable franchise. Um, would we be happy to see another one of these? As long as it's based on the Minions and not another despicable me film. Yeah. Um, go full Bond, 80s, um, you know, beat. you got the big Bond ones anyways, but um, Roger Moore-style Bond villains with the minions is what you want next. I think, if, yeah, as you say, they've just done the 70s, surely the 80s, the next logical step. I would agree with Simon. I, and, and like I say, they've got an excuse to print money. OK. Well, there you go. So that, that is the Minions film. I believe you can see it at the Light and View cinemas currently. And it is a certificate... I want to say you, but it, it might be a PG. Uh, we'll go with you for now. Forgive me if I'm wrong. No, it's PG. It is PG. Okay, great way to close. Well done, Yossi. Right, that is it. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very, very much to Stuart, Vicky, Simon and Henry for a really great show. Our next show will be on Saturday, the 23rd of July at 12 noon. We will be talking about Netflix's most expensive film to date, The Grey Man, which I think Henry said is $200 million dollars amazing and popular novel adaptation where the crawdads sing amongst others until then it is goodbye from us goodbye cambridge 105 radio